We're starting a new sermon series today, and it is on a person of interest, picking out somebody new each Sunday for the next few weeks. And yes, today is a sermon about Timothy from the book of Timothy given by Timothy. And so it's not confusing, just call me Tim, and that way you won't get things all messed up. But Andy, Pastor Andy, has um, gone today, uh, been a part of annual conference where all the preachers from the state of Illinois, at least the uh, I-80 and down section, get together in Peoria. And so after that Sunday, typically um, somebody else preaches, and so I'm thrilled to share today. And um, I looked up the name Timothy. It's actually one of the top names, um, 204 on the list <laughs> for 2018. And when you think of all the names, that's way, that's way up there. I mean, there's a lot of names for people. And it's actually up 17% since last year. So I looked at the little graph and the baby names, and it's just always on the charts, bouncing around in that neighborhood. Like most Bible names, Timothy is one, David, John, Mary. Names like that stick around for quite a long time, generation after generation, because the Bible is still the number one book sold and downloaded and everything else you can think of. So that's pretty awesome. But thinking about Timothy today, we um, <clears throat> want to learn a little bit about him and take away three things that we can remember this week to actually uh, have on our, on our radar and on our mind about who Timothy was. So a couple things we can learn so for the studious part here. He was born in the year 17, died in the year 97. So AD 17 to 97, lived about 80 years old. And just to give you an idea, Jesus born around 4 BC, about four years before zero. And most time we just think of Jesus, you know, coming at zero and then kind of going from there, which in a sense, that's basically the way it is. And so um, Timothy was actually 10 years old, though, though their paths never crossed. He was 10 years old when Jesus began his teaching ministry and his three-year ministry on earth. Um, Timothy's mother was a Jew, but his father was Greek. And therefore, as a Gentile, wasn't a believer. And so he kind of came from a family where it was a little bit of both. And so it's kind of amazing that, that uh, Timothy's life was transformed and became one of the faithful co-workers alongside Paul in the early church. The name Timothy in Greek means honoring God. And um, what's amazing is, is that Paul made a couple journeys through uh, Timothy's hometown, and it might have been during the first journey that Timothy actually became a believer. And so it was uh, about 10 years later that he wound up connecting with Paul. So we're looking at a guy who's about 30 years old and is an active member of this mission team that started so many churches. So we're going to look at the second letter that Paul wrote to his young mentee. And in this first chapter, get a glimpse of three things that we might uh, incorporate today or learn a little bit or inspire us today. And the first one is a big flame. You'll notice the three blanks on your sermon notes there, and all of them begin with F. That's the, that's the clue. The first one's a big flame. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In this first one, we might think it's audacious to try to fan into flame the gift that is in us. And we might think, isn't that, that's God's job to do that. We should just wait around until we feel some kind of motivation or desire or, or uh, impetus to like get us going and, and do something that maybe we're called or gifted to do. But Timothy actually was encouraged to fan into flame, to develop it. 
It's a reminder today that we have a part to play in this gift that God gives us. We have a part to play in fanning it into flame, to use our gift and to develop it. Other places in scripture, this, this also is highlighted. Oftentimes, Jesus does call us to take a step toward him so that he can add to it and create the miracle. Like when Jesus asked his disciples to go untie the donkey from some unknown neighbor so that he could ride in on Palm Sunday. And, you know, in effect, they're stealing this donkey, although the owner comes out and says, what are you doing? And they say, the Lord needs it. And the owner said, probably so confused, okay. And so they took it. And Jesus took the donkey that was owned by someone else and brought to him by disciples, and Palm Sunday happened. And in another place, he said to the servants, go fill the jars with water. And Jesus took those jars and that water filled by those servants and did the first miracle, water into wine, which we heard about recently. Or Naaman, who went and dipped himself in the Jordan River seven times, six times didn't heal him, but the seventh time did. God often calls us to take a step toward him, to be obedient in this idea of fanning, getting the thing going, and then the flame begins to happen. The miracle begins to happen. We have a part to play. And I should just throw in here that this is for young Timothy, who was a believer, who was getting ready to serve in the church and actually was serving in the young uh, church plants. And this may not apply to the times when somebody doesn't know God, is far from God, and has fallen flat on their face, and they don't have enough faith to even lift their finger and don't know where they're going to turn. And in those moments, God doesn't wait for them to take a step and pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. God rushes in. So I just want to make sure we're clear on that, that there are sometimes, in some situations where we're not talking about, you know, people figuring out their own thing. This is for believers in the church to fan into flame the gift that is in us. He goes on to say that it was when they laid hands on him that this gift was given to him. And not that laying hands is magical, but it's biblical. It's a moment of accountability and, and kind of a camaraderie of the believers that say, we, we believe that God is going to use you. And I remember that happening to me on many occasions, but one in particular, after I preached and sang at a church back in college days up in Alton, Illinois. And after the service was over, and I don't know why this preacher did this, he said, Tim, come down here and stand in the middle, and the whole church laid their hands on me and prayed. And, um, and I remember that being a formative moment in a, in a time when I could have you know, done any number of things, and the church laid their hands on me. Well, more about Timothy's gift what was his gift? Some scholars think it points to the fact that his gift was in evangelism and preaching and in teaching. And it goes on to support that with not being ashamed of the testimony or suffering for the gospel or keeping the pattern of sound teaching. In one verse in 1 Timothy, it actually said, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture and preaching and teaching. Don't neglect your gift. So he's like encouraging him to keep that gift going. And fanning it into flame, some commentators think that uh, Timothy was just supposed to reignite something that once was there. In fact, they use the same Greek word, which I can't really pronounce, but it starts with ava. And so they say this ava, whatever the word is, um, means to fan and to rekindle something that's there. It's kind of like the fire is going, but barely, and so you take one of those things and, or you take a piece of paper, or you pour gasoline on it, or whatever you want to try to do in, in your world. And, um, and then over here, it's more like a match, like there isn't a flame. And in that sense, ava means actually to light up a gift. 
in your heart, in your life. So it's more like there wasn't something there, or at least you didn't know, and, and you strike a match, and then the flame is there. And either way, Paul is calling him to develop his gift. So how do we kindle a big flame in our lives? Oh, my mic is going weird. Bless its heart. So I'll just take it off and use this. That'd be easier. So he's calling him to uh, rekindle uh, this, this gift. How do you get a big flame? Number one, you respond to spiritual nudges from God. And we, we get those when we are in quiet moments and when we're listening to a song on the radio or reading scripture. We, we get them a lot, I think. Sometimes life gets so busy that we might miss it. But when we get one, we respond. I don't know if it was because I was reading a book called The Power of a Whisper, the story and the voice of God is speaking in your life, or if it was something else that happened during this little two-week window of reading that book, but I actually one time really sensed that God, it's been other ways and other times, but this one's a vivid memory of recent times. I sensed as I was heading to a meeting at Troy City Hall that I should take my guitar with me. And I thought about it for a minute, I thought, this is ridiculous, this is not my style. And I do play guitar, but not at city hall meetings that I rarely go to. But I acted on it and I did it. I didn't have my guitar case, it sits here usually. So I actually just picked up the guitar sitting on a stand in the living room and I just carried it into the Troy City Hall with nothing. I mean, so everybody knew that the guitar was there. And a few little mumbles, oh, entertainment tonight, and this and that and the other. And it came to my part to talk at this meeting and I actually talked for a minute and then I sang a song which I can't hardly believe I did, and maybe somebody here was even there. I don't even remember what I sang now, but I sang a song, and I got done, everybody clapped, and then that night I left and walked off, and a couple people talked about things, and I've never been back to another city hall meeting, which is one thing I wonder about, but the um, interesting thing is that it's always stuck with me that in that little moment, I was obedient to that nudge, and it may have been more for me than anyone there. I don't know what came of that, except that that was a nudge that I responded to. And I've often thought about that little moment. Another one is, is that in order to build that big flame, we may just need to step out and do it. Sometimes we think too hard as Christians about, oh, I gotta save up so I have enough energy to do this thing that I'm called to, or I need to be more prepared to do this thing that somebody is asking me to do. When in fact, it's an oxymoron. The more you hold your gift in, the less it grows. And the more you give it away, even if you stumble a few times, the more it grows. And so we need to jump in. Sometimes we're called upon just by, you know, like Dustin playing bass today. He just jumped in first time ever, showed up and played bass. Clint played guitar, has a great story about the night, the Saturday the worship leader quit the church and he was just a guitar player and all of a sudden had to sing the next morning. <laughs> and those are the times where you just jump in and there you are. I heard about a guy named Dewey who after months of searching for a job finally got an electrical engineering job. He traveled to different locations with this new work and he was fixing company equipment and fixing problems and troubleshooting. We're getting more and more frustrated that the employer gave him very little training. So one day Dewey heard about some training classes coming up and he asked his boss if he could attend. And his boss said, for sure, I was already planning on sending you. And Dewey said, you were? And the boss said, oh yes, who do you think was gonna be teaching? <laughs> so. This poor guy was getting suckered into stuff he didn't even know about exactly, but he was doing it. He was probably learning because he was there and he was in it. And Timothy might have been in this boat to some degree that Paul sees something in him 
and he says, fan that flame. Make it big, because I've got some jobs for you to do. My birthday is coming up this week, uh, June 12th, along with a couple other people in church I know of. And um, I, one year on my birthday, I went and went through the whole entire Bible and picked out all the verses that say, uh, they have a chapter 6, verse 12, just so I could see what that's like. If, if you want to do that, it works well in Proverbs, because everybody has, there's 31 Proverbs, so everybody has a birthday verse. It's a great way to get your kids involved. You look it up, and you don't want to treat it like a fortune cookie. It kind of like throws you off. Like my birthday verse in Proverbs, this is a side note, is actually a villain goes about with a scoundrel and uh, lies on his lips. And my wife's birthday, August 7th, says she detests wicked lying lips. <laughs> so I don't know, but you don't, want, you don't want to look into it too hard. But I, um, I looked up each Bible, each book of the Bible that had 612, found awesome stuff. And one of them was from Leviticus, where it says in 612, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. It's the priest's job to keep the fire on the altar lit. And I wrote, that verse resonated with me. And even though I'm not a priest, and even though I'm not really a preacher, pastor person, I'm a worship leader and a ministry leader, and I've done it for years, but it feels to me like part of my job is to keep the fire on the altar going. And I felt that way this weekend as I was leading music for 17 junior hires, bouncing off the walls, singing up in Springfield, Illinois, and, and came home last night. And I just, uh, other times, have felt the same way when I'm speaking or leading in front of larger groups and more people that aren't bouncing off the walls. And in both cases, I have this sense that part of my call is that, to keep the fire going. And then there's the other times in life when I'm not living up to what God's called me to do, and I'm, you know, kind of stepped aside a little bit from this focus of keeping the fire, fanning the flame. And unfortunately, sometimes we just get in those moments. The church gets in those moments. Sometimes there's that little spark, but it's just not enough to have the kind of flame that really does make a difference. Our lives kind of just become benign in some ways. It's like the country store that had a big sign on the door that said, beware of dog. And the guy walked in the store looking around, really cautious about the dog that might be in there. And all he saw was an old hound dog curled up in the corner. And finally, he asked the clerk, hey, the sign out there says, beware of the dog. And all I see is this old hound dog that hasn't woke up since I got in here. And the owner said, yeah, people kept tripping on him, so we had to put the sign up. <laughs> And we don't want to be those kind of Christians that are just barely there. Just, you know, the people are just kind of wondering, oh, what goes on down there? And it's just, we, we want to be Christians who take this lesson from the life of Timothy and to fan into flame, into a burning, huge flame of God's giftedness placed in us for such a time as this, that this church, with this congregation, in this moment in history, might have a faith impact in our homes and neighborhoods and families and coworkers, schools and communities. That's what we're asked to do to have a big flame. So that's the first one. The second one goes along with it, and that is no fear. You want a big flame, and you want no fear. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. About timidity, some commentators point to the fact that Timothy might have been timid. In fact, if you Google Timid Timothy, you get a little story about a cat and you get some stuff about Paul and Timothy and the story of the early church. One of the authors of one of the books, is a big thing about it, he said that probably Timothy now was in his 30s. He probably hadn't like, you know, advanced in life like maybe some people think that he should. And with all the problems and, and responsibilities that would be given to him, he was pretty inexperienced in some ways. 
possibly shy. And um, the Bible also says he, he had like gastro you know, stomach issues. And so all these together, this author said he was young, shy, and frail. And in a sense, this might really allow for him to do something powerful. Often when a young church is dealing with trying to, you know, make it through relationships and growing and all that, you need somebody that's a little bit more reserved or quiet or a thinker type to kind of help bridge the gap. And Timothy probably fit that bill, especially compared to Paul's kind of like, boom, here, I'm, I'm in town, I'm cranking this thing out, and you join me or not. Probably needed both. But, but um, timidity, though, is not what God's spirit gives us. Timidity secretly suggests that we can't do it. We tell ourselves, that's not me. I could never do that. Timidity kind of focuses our lives on ourselves rather than on what God can do and what we can do for others. And timidity really doesn't spur on obedience. It kind of spurs on a, a hands-off approach. Well, we want to be encouraged, as Timothy was, to put away the spirit of timidity and to have a spirit of love, power, self-discipline. Now, I don't think timidity is, it's bad having timidity with Timothy, but anyway, I don't think timidity is shyness. There are some times when people are kind of, you know, less reserved, introvert, however you want to say it. And um, I read a book one time, it was called Quiet, and the subtitle was called The Power of an Introvert in a World That Can't Stop Talking. And all the book did for me was convict me to think that I'm the world that can't stop talking. I mean, I just am constantly, you know, if I'm thinking I'm talking. And so I looked around my family and some other friends and people, and I'm like, wow, they, they're, they're, the, the beauty of thinking before you speak and observing and, and being a little bit on a deeper plane in these certain aspects of personality or whatever, just the power of how God created the church to be able to grow based on potentially Timothy's gift to just be there. Paul was in a totally different world. His conversion even was different. And here Timothy is just quietly being willing to make it happen. So I think the church has maybe done a little bit of disservice at times because we kind of start thinking that unless you're a big personality, you can't really serve in the church effectively. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. In fact, every single person is gifted in the way that God needs for this church to uniquely serve in this community right here. And Paul took that on with Timothy in mind. He called Timothy his son. He gave Timothy the hardest jobs. He raised him to the utmost responsibility, traveled with him the longest, trusted him to speak on his behalf, even when he was in jail. And he was with Paul most of his life, serving in the church. And I just think Paul wouldn't have done that if he had thought that he needed somebody who was big and out there, and all that we describe those type of personalities. We need both. And one commentator said, maybe the word timid isn't the right word here. Maybe it's fear, that for God does not give us a spirit of fear. So I just want to talk about that for one moment, mainly because I've bumped up against some fears in my life here that I've never quite experienced before. I'm not sure if I was afraid and just too slow to notice I was afraid, and now I do, or really if I wasn't afraid and now I am but I know it's a real thing. And even this week, we've heard these stories on the news, high-profile cases of people who are taking their own life, and though we can't even guess the circumstances surrounding all these things, we do instinctively know the fear that is underlying in our culture, the fear of feeling like a failure or feeling like you're not sure if you've gotten to the place in life you want to be or whatever the case is. 
And maybe for us today, some of us are experiencing fear, and we hear this verse, God did not give us a spirit of fear. And maybe we're fearful of the future, or a health concern, or how our kids are going to turn out, or what's going to happen with our money, or whatever the case is. Jesus speaks to fear a lot. He says, peace I leave with you. He says, for God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. He says, God is our refuge and strength in times of trouble. The Psalm says, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. Perfect love casts out fear. If God is for us, who can be against us? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And if we have that kind of fear, we need to know that what God gives us is power and love and self-discipline. And either way, whether Timothy was actually timid or fearful, or if Paul just wanted to make sure he didn't get that way, it's a testament to us living a life that's fearless. We weren't created to live in fear, especially as believers. I heard a story one time about a man broke down on the side of the road in his old car, and he was standing there trying to figure out the problem with the hood up, and a limousine pulled up behind him. And this man gets out, dressed from head to toe in a million bucks, walks up to the driver, do you need any help? He said, yeah, this old thing won't start. Piece of junk. And so the guy in the suit gets under the hood there, tinkers around with a couple things, and pretty soon the car starts right up. And the man said, oh man, how much do I owe you? And there's a lot of variations to the story, but the one I heard said, nothing. I'm Henry Ford. I'm the creator of this car, and it bothers me to see it broken down on the side of the road, not doing what I created it to do. So you got a free fix from the owner of the vehicle. And sometimes I think that's what fear does to Christians. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He created us to live in power and in love and in self-discipline. Those are some pretty strong, big, life-changing words. And he has created us to do those things. And there may be a time and some of us need God to sort of tinker in our hearts and lives and to create in us what we were really created to be. Well, we want to be available to God, and fear keeps us from that. So it's a big flame and no fear. And the last one is extreme faithfulness. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So we learn a little more about Timothy's life in this verse. We learn about his upbringing, the faithfulness of his mother and his grandmother. And we also learn that uh, God can use the faithfulness of a grandparent or a parent to create a culture for generations, really, of people who are seeking after God. We learn that Timothy's faith in life might have grown slowly instead of the one-time fashion. For Paul, who is his mentor, he was killing Christians, and then in one day's time, walked to Damascus to continue his mission of persecuting the believers. He gets blinded by light. He hears God's voice speak to him directly, and then he is blinded for three days as he goes to a home he's never been in, miraculously met by Ananias, other believers. And by the end of the week, from killing Christians to preaching Jesus, his life was transformed momentarily. Timothy, on the other hand, kind of grew up in this place where his grandmother was faithful and his mother was faithful. And maybe at some point he had this moment where he realized, but he also understood his whole, all these years that here's what following Jesus 
and faithfulness was about. Paul needed a guy like Timothy to balance. And I know that everyone has their own unique story, faith heritage and faith background. And maybe some of you here today think, man, I don't know if I necessarily like that story exactly. And maybe it's an opportunity for you to change that trajectory to build a culture of faithfulness for generations to come. But I'm grateful because both sets of my grandparents were not only went to church, they didn't just attend church, they were actually faithful and active leaders and, and members in their respective churches. And both Suzanne and I's families have been followers of Christ and have attended church and been a part of the ministry. And though it's been said that God has no grandchildren, meaning that every person must at some point in their heart trust in Jesus, there's an amazing thing that happens when the family faithfully passes along that kind of commitment. The kind of commitment that defies culture. The kind of commitment that says, yeah, we've got this and we got this, we got this, but we're Christ followers. So this takes priority and then we fit all this other stuff in. That just changes a kid's life. Well, a little more of what we see in scripture here. I'm reminded of the sincere faith that first lived in them, I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Well, this faith that lives in him translated to some pretty powerful things. Timothy used his gifts in ministry. He challenged the church. He nurtured the church. He was faithful to the call, faithful to the gospel, faithful to Jesus. And he was faithful to Paul. He served in ministry with him. And it might be that some of us are called to be faithful and loyal to someone. He traveled from country to country, church to church, doing everything that Paul really kind of directed him to do. And he had an incredible life and impact as a pastor and evangelist. Paul is credited as the greatest missionary ever, but would he have been that way if it hadn't been for Timothy? So it made me want to ask this question. Who is the Timothy in your life? Who do you have that is the person that you can kind of look to to equip or account on or, or invite in to your circle of how you do ministry or how you use your gift? And maybe a better question is, who are you a Timothy for? I always love it when I'm visiting churches and I'll hear somebody say something like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the youth pastor here, but man, if it wasn't for this person, I'd be lost. And it's some volunteer person that just serves alongside in ministry. And I could name off, you know, 50 people in that world and many right here right now. But today, just for fun, not in my notes, I'll rattle off Nick Tipton's name. And he's one of the guys that's been around our church all his life, but has been serving in worship tech for the last couple years and still doing it faithfully each week. And I went up to the tech booth this morning early, seven o'clock, somewhere along the way, and I said, how was your vacation to the Grand Canyon? He said, cool. Hope you don't mind me telling this, Nick. I thought this was hilarious. He said, cool. But the plane got delayed when we came home. And I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. Supposed to leave at six from Las Vegas. Didn't leave until 10, 10 p.m., which is 12.10 this time. So we didn't get actually into like 3.30, 4 o'clock, and then I'd drive home, and I said, man, then it was, what do you do, just take a shower and stay up the rest of the day? He's like, yeah. I was thinking that was like Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, and then it dawned on me, no. Nick, was that yesterday? He said, yeah. So last night, Nick got in, I don't know what time you came in, 4 o'clock in the morning, and then he showed up here about 7 o'clock, act like it was nothing. So if the words go awry, you'll know why. He's uh, conked out up there. But I just think, man, that's, that's the kind of guy that is, is loyal to say, I'm going to use my gifts in ministry. And um, who are you a Timothy for? Who are you a Timothy for? Well, at times, um, as much as we want to 
have a big flame, and as much as we want to have no fear, and as much as we want to be extremely faithful, uh, we're humans. And so sometimes things like fade a little bit, and it requires us to get back on focus. That's why I hope these three Fs will stick with our heads and hearts this week, that we would fan into flame, that we would have no fear, and that we would be faithful. And we don't have to try to, you know, make things sound better than they are. We don't have to say, oh, yeah, well, I'm more faithful than my neighbor or something like that. We don't have to, like, try to make it better than it is. If you try to do that, you're kind of like the kid that said, good news, Dad. You remember that 500 you promised if I made the dean's list? Well, you get to keep it. <laughs> Sometimes we just word things like, like we're trying to make ourselves look like it's, it's better. But God knows our hearts, and, and he knows that maybe today we need to learn a little bit about this person of interest. Just a simple guy who did what God called him to do, even in the midst of maybe not being totally sure every step of the way. John Wesley said, give me 100 men who love nothing but God and hate nothing but sin, and I will shake the whole world for Christ. It doesn't take many, but it does take somebody to be faithful. So Timothy lived up to his name, I think, of honoring God he did that with a big flame, with no fear and extreme faithfulness. And I think we might take that today as a, a little snippet of what the gospel really is. Jesus came to us. He came to us first. And in that flame of being willing to fill our hearts with his spirit, with a courage that is out of this world, and with a faithfulness to us that led him to the ultimate sacrifice, we can confidently do these things. This isn't just a little to-do list. This is who we are as believers. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for the power of Scripture and for the ways that you teach us and lead us. And for the stories we hear and for the people in Scripture that challenge us. And I pray, God, that these words might rest on us this week and that we might find opportunities to be who you have created us to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name.